We live in the university of life. We are constantly learning. Learning doesn't stop. Even when we leave school, we learn, don't we, through life's experiences. Do you like learning? You might be pleased that actually the schools are on holidays and you can have time to yourself, but we are always learning as we go through life. But I have two questions. Why do we learn? And what do we do with what we have learnt? Why do we learn? And what do we do with what we have learnt? Now, back at school, we all learnt numbers. All of us learnt numbers. We learnt how to add. We learnt how to subtract, multiply and divide. Why? Well, we all use numbers in our everyday life. If we're using money, we're using numbers. If we're dividing and sharing things out, we're using numbers. When we come to measure distances, we all use numbers. Maths, whether we like it or not, is an essential part of our life. Or another illustration for those who are slightly older is that many people learn to drive. And why do they learn to drive? Well, we learn to drive to get places. In fact, I think for teenagers, learning to drive is part of being independent. Being able to go when they want, when they get a car. For some people, especially for us down in Sussex, a car is the easiest form of transport. But with driving, some people learn quicker than others. But once you pass, you can drive where you want and when you want to. Some people, they just stay local. They drive locally. But others, they drive miles. They go a long way. But as we learn to drive, it's what we do once we can drive. And as we learn with anything, it's what we do with the knowledge that we have learnt. Now in Colossians, Paul, he was currently in prison in Rome. He had never been to Colossae. He wasn't part of the churches that were set up on any of his missionary journeys. He had never met the believers that he was writing to. But he had, however, met Epaphras. Epaphras we read of in verse 7. He had been used by God to teach those in Colossae and some of the other churches up and down the valley where Colossae was, was built. He had been used by God in their conversion. Epaphras had visited Paul in prison and had told Paul all about the situation at Colossae. You can kind of almost imagine the conversation. So Epaphras, how is it? at the church at Colossae. And we read, don't we, that Paul is encouraged and he's also concerned about what Epaphras tells him about the church in Colossae. And because of that concern, because he wants to encourage them, he writes to them. And he writes to encourage them and to help them to live for Christ. We can read in chapter 2, we didn't read it, but the key to Colossians in chapter 2 is, in verse 2, we read that Paul wrote that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. And then we read in verse 4, warning them about people with plausible arguments or persuasive words. There were those people in Colossae who were saying that Christ isn't enough. You need more than Christ. And if you have some time later, 
you can have a read through chapter 2 and you'll see some of the things that the false teachers were saying that the Colossians needed on top of Christ. But we have here in chapter 1 in verses 3 to 14 a prayer. And to encourage them, Paul is writing to them and he's telling them what he is praying for them. Now the first section of the prayer is about thankfulness. So Paul, to encourage them, is telling them that he's thanking God for them. He's thanking God for what he's heard about them. And we can see those in those verses. He's thanking, he's thankful for how the faith that they had in the Lord Jesus Christ was so evident in their lives. He was thankful for the way that they had that love for all the saints. He was thankful for for the way that they had that hope that they looked forward to when they passed from this world into the next. He was thankful for the way that the Colossians had in God's grace responded to the gospel's truth. But not only that, he's trying to encourage them. He's thankful for the way that other people are responding to the gospel and coming to know Jesus as their Lord. What an encouragement that would have been to know that the Apostle Paul was praying for them. I don't know about you, but I find it encouraging when people pray for me. It's so encouraging when you hear people pray for you. And it's encouraging when they pray something and you go, oh, I didn't realise that. People can see by our lives and it's encouraging for us when they turn that to God in prayer. So was this the end of Paul's interest in them? No, he continues to pray for them. And our prayer carries on because he wants the Colossians to continue as they have started. Not only does he want them to be encouraged for the way that they have started, but he wants them to continue to grow as Christians. He wants them to live their lives in a way that pleases God. And we get to verses... 9 and 10, where we read, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So Paul here is praying for them that they would know God's will. Paul is praying that they would understand God's will for them in their lives. And that they would live their lives in a way that pleases him. Paul knew, needed, Paul knew that their faith needed to be strengthened, rooted and grounded in Christ. So that they would be able to see through the false teaching and through the worldly distractions that they were facing. He prays for them that they would learn about what God wants. To understand it. And as they learn it and understand it, he prays that they would wisely apply it into their lives in all wisdom. We see that in verse 9. Now this knowledge that Paul is praying for, the Colossians, isn't a new knowledge. No, what Paul is praying about is that everyone who follows Christ already has. But Paul's prayer is aiming that they would be able to understand it better and that they would be able to spiritually discern 
what God's will is for them in their lives from what they know about God. And you may ask, well, how are they to do this? How are we to do this? How is it possible to learn and to understand God's will? Well, learning God's will would have come as they listen to God's word being taught by Epaphras, who was away at this time, so by Archippus. Learning about God and about his will would have been come through personal Bible reading and personal Bible study. And through his word, God teaches us, doesn't he? He teaches us about himself, his holiness and purity. He teaches us about his love, his grace and his mercy. And he teaches us how he is a just God and about justice. God tells us about sin and how that has offended him. How every member of the human race has sinned and angered him. God tells us about death, punishment and judgment. But he also teaches us and he tells us that he will forgive us if we ask him. Not because he forgets what we have done. Not because he kind of sweeps it under the carpet. But because Jesus, his son, the son of God, died on the cross. And took the punishment we each deserve. And this is the only way we can be saved from punishment. There is no other way but to come and believe through the Lord Jesus. That we can be saved by trusting in him. And God teaches us how we should live. Once we have come to him and we are forgiven. He warns us, doesn't he, about two destinations. Heaven for those who have trusted Jesus. And he has forgiven them for their sin. Or he warns us about hell. A place of punishment for everyone who has walked away from Jesus. And have not responded to his invitation. That invitation, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you might be sitting there thinking, I know this. This is great. But what Paul is praying for is that as we know God, as we know what God's will is, that we would know more about him and how to respond to that will. Can I just say, if, if as I've read through that last section... If you don't know Jesus as your saviour, he's calling you to call him. He wants you to come to him, to call on him. He won't turn anyone away. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's our prayer that everyone here would know Jesus as their saviour. You may be asking yourself, but how do I know all of God's will? And the answer is, if you want to know it, you can't. He doesn't tell us all of it. God has what's been described as a a revealed will and a secret will. And we can see that in Deuteronomy 29 verse 29 where it says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Let's look at that in a couple of ways. So we all know the Ten Commandments. And one of the Ten Commandments is... Don't murder. So we all know that the will of God in our lives is that we shouldn't kill anyone. That's part of God's revealed will. 
we have in, in Matthew 22, we have you know, that famous that summary that Jesus gives us, where God says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And this is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. That's what God's will is for each of us, to put him first and then to love everyone else as much as we love ourselves. It's a challenge, isn't it? I once heard someone say, they say, when you look at a group photo, who are you looking for in it first? It's a challenge. If we're in that group photo and we're looking for us first, who will we put in first? The devil knows that we're very good at putting ourselves first. But God, in God's will, he wants us to put others first. And then we have the, the second part of God's will, which has been described as a secret will. Now, as we live our lives, as events happen, we get to see God's secret will. In fact, the older we get, the more we can look back on life. We can perhaps see jobs that we've had we never expected to. We see places that we moved to we never thought we'd go there when we were younger. The people that we have met, all in God's control. So actually, learning about God's will does come through as he works in the circumstances on our life. As he sees, as he opens up opportunities, as he shuts doors, as he provides help. What it does, it teaches us about him. We know about him, we learn about him. And it strengthens our faith in him for the future and what we cannot see. But as God teaches us, Paul also, also prays that we would come to an understanding. As he teaches us his will that we would come to an understanding. Going back to the driving illustration, those of us that have learnt to drive, we know how to drive. But that first time we're in a car by ourselves and there's no one to tell us anything, that's when we realise we've started to learn to drive properly. You know, we start to learn from our own experiences. You know, we learn what happens when we corner too fast. We know what happens when we drive too close to the car in front and it suddenly breaks hard. Those heart-in-the-mouth moments when we realise we have made, made a mistake and we say to ourselves, I'm going to slow down on the corners. I'm not going to drive too close to that car in front. I will pay more attention. That's when we're starting to drive with understanding as well. I don't know about you, but if I'm asked to do something and I understand why I'm doing it, it helps me to do that. Well, how do we gain an understanding of God's will? Well, we have it as an example here in front of us. We gain an understanding as we pray. And that's why Paul is praying for the Colossians, that God would enlighten us, would show us, would help us to understand how we apply his will into our lives. And it's not just prayer. We can talk to other believers. We can talk to spiritually more mature believers. Uh, we can read good books. It can teach us about God and teach us how we apply in our lives. But we notice that it's not only the knowledge of God's will, it's not only being able to spiritually understand it, but it's to do it wisely. So Paul is praying that God would help the Colossians 
to apply God's will discerningly into their lives, to apply the knowledge into their lives. I, uh, I read of a, uh, an avid Christian book reader, and what he used to put in the margin of the books was YBH. YBH. And when he was asked, what does YBH stand for? And he said, well, I know what God wants. I understand what God wants. Yes, but how? So he was challenging himself as he read, yes, but how? How do I apply this in our things? When we're driving, we may have something in the car called a backseat driver. That person who tells us what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. Okay? Possibly we're a bit late, and this person is saying, well, you can overtake here. You can drive faster here. You know, you don't have to have two hands on the wheel. You can be using your phone at the same time. Well, we know that's wrong, don't we? But as we, as we know how to drive, and as we gain a better understanding of driving as we drive, we can actually start seeing through other people's suggestions. And we can drive in a way that is safe and wise. But it's those times where the 20 mile an hour speed limits, I don't know what they're like around here, but where I'm from, they're just outside of schools. Okay? And isn't it a pain when no one's at school and it's a big road? And you get the person say, well, you can, you can speed up now. Actually, if we're sticking to the law, we can't. Or the motorway that's empty at night. Why are we sticking to 70 mile an hour? No, we want to drive faster. But actually, we know what the laws are, and that's what we should be doing. And that's why Paul here, in this prayer, he's praying for them, for them to grow as Christians, that not only will they know the will of God, they would understand it, but they would wisely apply it. So how do we apply it? How do we apply it? And knowing God's will, we get to verse 10. It leads to a God-pleasing life. Let's read verse, I'm going to read verse 9 and then verse 10. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. As I've said, if you rightly apply what you were taught when you learned to drive, you'll be a safe driver. But actually, driving safely, sticking to the speed limits, actually you're driving in a way that pleases God. Okay? In the Colossians, a little bit later in chapter 3, we see that um, we are warned not to be people pleasers. We're warned not to be people pleasers. We should be remembering our God all the time in our life. And that's the way that we should be living it. So, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, we need to bear fruit in every good work. And we need to increase in the knowledge of God. Now, a life that is pleasing to God is full of good works, producing fruit. And we sung that, didn't we, in that first verse. Okay, that the light of Christ might be seen today in our acts of love and our deeds of faith. There's a saying, isn't there, that actions speak louder than words. There are those, don't we, that, that talk a good life, but actually don't lead it. And I can leave you to think of those people. Okay? So what Paul is saying here 
is that no, you need to act it and you need to live it. We saw, didn't we, in, when we looked at God's will, that that greatest commandment about putting God first and then second to love others as much as we love ourselves, putting others first, doing good to others. Now, you can all think of deeds that will be good, things that you could do which will help others, good deeds, whether it's visiting a lonely person, helping a stressed out mum with her family, cooking a meal for someone who needs help, giving a lift to someone who can't drive, helping someone who is ill around the house. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter how small it is, because every good deed is fruit in God's eyes as we look to live a life that's pleasing to him. It might not be in man's eyes, but it is in God's. Remember in the New Testament, in Matthew, where we have in the parable just that cup of water. That cup of water, in God's eyes, was a good deed. Was a good deed. But we must remember that we're not doing good deeds to earn our salvation. But as we are saved, doing good deeds is what our Saviour wants them to do. You know, are our lives full of good works and deeds? Putting God first and then others second. And secondly, as we look in that verse, that a, a life that is pleasing to God is actually one that is increasing in the knowledge of God. It's like a virtuous circle. As they grew in the knowledge of him, the Colossians, as their understanding increased further, as they applied the increased knowledge and understanding, their lives became more pleasing to him. So if you're a young Christian, there's lots to learn. And if we're an older Christian, there is still lots to learn. We keep growing and we've got to keep growing. And as we grow, our lives will be more pleasing to God. We might not think so, because God might show us what we're like more and more and more. But as he shows us what we're like more and more, and we come in repentance and we come to him thanking for Jesus, that's what he wants. That's fruit to him. Hebrews talks about you know, the fruit of our lips being praise and worship. So fruit might be good works, but it's also about the good things we can do with our lips. So in our lives, God wants us to keep learning, whether that's through uh, Bible studies, whether that's through personal Bible readings, whether that's through listening to his word preached from or listening to a sermon online. God is looking for us to learn more about him. But I'm very grateful that he only reveals himself a little bit at a time because I'm not sure I could cope if he revealed himself to us. And we read, don't we, of, of those that, that saw um, the risen Saviour falling down on their faces. We have John in Revelation falling down. We have the Apostle Paul falling down. So he just shows us a little bit at a time because he knows that we are limited and we are still struggling with our sinful bodies. We're still struggling with those bad habits. But we're looking to him to free us from them. But thirdly, a life that's pleasing to God is actually one that is looking to God to strengthen him. So in verse 10, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to 
to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. So Paul continues in his prayer that they would be strengthened by God himself. Now we all know that living a life pleasing to God is not easy. There are troubles all around that try and stop us and try and stop people who are trying to please God in their lives. We've already said, don't we, that our sinful natures so often want to put ourselves first. And then we'll have resistance, whether that's at school or at work. It may even be within our families. But when things got difficult, they were to go back to God. They were to look to God for strength. They would look for his help to be patient. And actually, God's strength in his might, he has so much power that he can strengthen us to the point that we can endure difficulties with joy. God knows we need difficulties just to shape us, just to knock off the rough edges, just to prepare us for heaven. But actually in his might and his power, he can enable us that as we struggle, as we need patience, we can go through these difficulties with joy. That's a kind of a, con- dif- a difficult concept, alien, an-, an alien concept, isn't it? Because most people would think, well, if God has got that much might and power, he'd be able to take the difficulty as well. But God doesn't want that. He wants us ready to come to heaven to meet his son. So he knows that we need some of our rough edges knocking off. He knows that we need knocking down a peg or two so that he is first in our lives. And he allows us to go through these difficulties. But if we look to him for strength, he will enable us to be joyful in them. As we realise what is going on. It's interesting, going back to the maths example, you know, moving on for the simple addition. Some of you might be very good at maths, you might be very bright at maths. Some of you might have gone to university to do maths degrees. Some people go past the level of maths that their maths teacher taught them. They become cleverer than the teacher. But you're never going to do that with God. He's going to have more power, more strength. He's cleverer than we are. So there's no limit to his power and help that we can go to him with. So a question for us is, are we, asking, are we asking God to strengthen us so that we can live a life pleasing to him? Asking him to strengthen us so we can endure times when it's difficult with joy. And then our final point is a life that is pleasing to God. Actually give thanks to the Father. And we read that in verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us in the kingdom of the Son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of our sins. Now this is not Paul just rewriting what he wrote at the beginning of his prayer in his thankfulness that they had come to know Jesus, that they had faith in him, that they were looking forward to going to heaven. No, he's, he's giving thanks because... God the Father has taken them out of the kingdom of darkness. He's taken them out of Satan's domain and he's put them in the kingdom of his son. They are now living for a different king. And if we stop and think about that, think about that we are no longer under Satan's domain if we follow Jesus as our saviour. We are now in the kingdom of light. We are now in the kingdom of the son, the Lord Jesus. We have a... We have a lot more that's coming to us. 
Okay, we haven't fully got all the kingdom to us. That will come when we go into heaven. But that's where we are spiritually. So they were, as they lived their lives, to remember who their new king was. To remember how the father had moved them away from that dark domain of Satan. And he had moved them into the domain of his son, the Lord Jesus. And as we stop to give thanks, don't, doesn't that help us stop to remember what he has done? So, living a life pleasing to God was not about their salvation. It was not a way of trying to earn their salvation through good works. But it was a loving response to Jesus dying for them and that they were now living for him. So we must remember that we are heading for glory and that we are believers in the spiritual kingdom of the Son of God. Yes, we will be under Satan's power. It will be around us. But if we look to God, he can free us. James tells us that if we submit ourselves to God and then resist the devil, he will flee from us. It's not about resist the devil and he'll flee. No, you have to submit to God first and then he'll strengthen you so that you can resist the devil so that he will flee from us. Now, as we come to a close... Are we learning as God teaches us about himself? Are we listening in our lives as he gives us understanding of his will? Are we asking for him to give us wisdom to apply our lives so that we live according to his will? Are we living a life pleasing to him, full of good works? Every day is a learning day, isn't it? Every day is a learning day as God teaches us as we read his word, as he shows it to us, and as we pray to him. Let's just commit our time to prayer. Father God, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for that prayer of Paul's that tells us to, to look to you so that we would know your will, so that we would understand it, and that you would help us to apply it wisely in our lives. We ask that you would help us to be those who are doing good works, not to earn our salvation, but to show our love for you and to live a life which is pleasing to you. Lord, help us to realise that you have power and might to help us if we come to you and ask for it. And we pray that you enable us, each of us, to do that. Help us to know that we are now under the kingship of your son, the Lord Jesus. And help us to serve him well. We ask that Jesus